Hi, I'm Josh Gandy, and you're listening to No Proof. This podcast is an extension of my journey to discover closeness to myself and the outside world. Through mindfulness, the person I'm becoming since sobriety, and the healthy choices I'm learning about along the way. In each episode, I'll be speaking with someone with ties to sobriety, the bar and restaurant industry, wellness, recovery, or all of the above. There's no proof like the present. You are listening to No Proof. As always, I'm Josh Gandy, and I'm joined today by Laura Louise Green, who is a licensed psychotherapist and founder of Healthy Poor. Um, said a little bit before we started recording, but this is a, a first of its kind. Uh, I'm proud and excited to have you on on the show uh, and this this type of setting uh, to kind of like create a conversation around the conversations that are being had. Um, I've been quite fortunate to now have close to 50 conversations with individuals who have decided to remove alcohol from their life, which is 50 more people than I thought kind of existed when I first started taking (laughs) this journey and and path for myself. Um, And, you know, before we get into it and kind of like think about and talk about the ways that some of this has changed, I wanted to start the show by um, saying thank you to you, um, your work and your seminar and your words and your posts, um, those things matter a great deal. And they've helped me and they've certainly helped focus on health a lot by giving us a really great foundation of where to start some of these conversations. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for what you contribute because it's it's changed the way that I think about things. Oh, and wow. I think what's been most important for this program is that in a lot of ways, it's given me a vocabulary to talk mm-hmm. about things that I was uncertain about, things that I didn't understand, and to it's ironic that I'm fumbling on the words now, but to be more accurate, <laughs> but to accurately describe the way that I'm feeling and, uh, you know, sometimes the, the scientific uh, reasoning behind it is important mm-hmm. um, because the the better that I can talk about myself, the better I can ask questions and talk to others. So thank you for being on the show. Holy moly. Thank you for saying that. That's like, I'm after we're done, I'm going to have to take a walk around the block. And <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a, to a, a large degree, very thankless work. And I think you understand that like any, any kind of, you know, push for social change, behavioral change. Um, you know, when my whole world is walking in people's goo, you know, in their in-between and saying like your in-between is an okay place to be. How do we you know, how do we acknowledge the goo and in between that we're in? And that's never an, a comfortable place to be for people. And it's a very scary place for people to be. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that because I live in the goo. <laughs> that's a nice other side of it. You know, <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I like well, it. I wanted to chat today about, you know, kind of alcohol and yeah. the, you know, the thought patterns and What's changing around that? Though I feel like the way that people view alcohol, the way that people are kind of like questioning the use mm-hmm. within their their selves, um, the ways that kind of like bars or management structures kind of like operate seem to be changing, all because of you know one difficult or one simple com- question of what is my relationship to alcohol. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time on this 
podcast talking with people and just you know coming from like the big realization that like i never once checked in with myself i never once for until i did and like uh, mm-hmm. in that october of 2017 but it didn't seem like there were some easy navigable ways for me to check in and just say like what's my relationship to alcohol right now um you know the hospitality industry is one of incredible pace uh it's also one of incredible repetition so one thing that i talk to people a lot about is you know if you're living in that groundhog day lifestyle how do you kind yeah. of like step out of it for a second so i guess my kickoff question would just be what's happening right now that you're kind of seeing and uh, if you had to weigh it even against maybe 5 years ago like what's mm-hmm. changing i think that people are recognizing that they that we could not keep going in the way that we were even 5 years ago like i reflect on 5 years ago and let's see i was behind the bar till 2017 but even then I was working in distribution I was a wild child like not the best relationship with alcohol and um I think that the behaviors that come with challenging and problematic relationships with alcohol are no longer tolerated in the same way and that's a blanket statement you know there's certainly a lot of um room either way you know there's some places that still really relish in those behaviors and say that they're a sign of um, strength or somehow professionalism. But majority I'm seeing people not, not quite, it's more of a compassionate, like, don't, don't do that. Maybe like um, we don't want people to show up late to work and hungover all the time. We're trying to, you know, socially elevate careers and beverage in a way that they're taken seriously because they aren't always and they haven't always been. Um, so that's the main thing I'm seeing is this more behavioral intolerance to what comes with problematic alcohol consumption, um, which is leading people to take steps back, you know, and change their behavior, which then of course results in, oh, I think this is something I need to look into a bit more. So that's the that's the main thing I'm seeing. And then of course it's supported by market, by brands, by messaging, and you know, by organizations like Healthy Poor and Focus on Health popping up. And how does that start? You know, what's a really great kind of like conversation starter that um, you know, bartenders are having with themselves? Because I feel like that's one of those questions that once it's unlocked, it can only kind of like spiral upward. Like once you start having different expectations of yourself, you start holding mm-hmm. other, um, you know, your, your bosses accountable, the structure accountable brands uh, accountable. You kind of like want others to kind of like follow in the footsteps of even kind of like asking the question around the mm-hmm. relationship to, to alcohol. You know, I'll use, I'll use myself as an example in like 20 2016, 2015, 2016. Well, I guess it's probably even before that. Um, I, I, I was in the substance use class for my, um, for my counseling degree. And we were supposed to talk about our relationship to alcohol and other substances. And I wrote about how complex it was working in the hospitality industry, because it's like, it was a medium. It was my artistic medium, you know? And I was like, a painter has paints. I have poison, you know? And I remember my, um, professor coming back being like I have never heard that perspective of it and then I was like oh my god we're not people whoa so then I was like this is a whole 
area that we don't even have a grasp on. That didn't change my behavior though, <laughs> mind you. Like I was still out. I was still partying in a really big way. So I also want to say in context of that, we can understand that the way we are behaving isn't great and still not make changes. So it's a very long process in that sort of like transformative piece, right? Um, but what started changing it for me is that I realized that I couldn't keep up with my work anymore. I was aging for sure. Um, still am. Um, but I, I had, I was working in this place that was so high volume and so high pressure and all of us, all of our bartenders, we were all coping with just like Rose 30 and snackeries and, you know, what does this even taste like? And, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of behavior. And we would leave the bar a mess and we would come into the bar a mess and I would be, we would all be just hung over for their whole shift. So I think there's a, for a lot of people, and, and, and for me, the first step was really looking at, is this a sustainable lifestyle? Am I going to make it to 40? You know, like, or can I keep doing my job? Um, for me, the main, the main uh, catalyst for change was when I showed up to a training about epigenetic trauma for kids as a therapist, and I was hungover and the AC was out. And I couldn't hide my hangover and no one was tolerating the hangover. And I was like, oh no, this is what? But so then that was, if this isn't tolerated in counseling, why is it tolerated in beverage? Why is it tolerated behind the bar? So from there, I started then asking questions of myself of like, why am I doing this? To, why am I tolerating this for myself? You know, I come from a family of alcoholics and um, it was just like a, a wake up moment. But what was so interesting is when I started pulling back on the drinking, not going out, I started training for a half Ironman, which I know is super extreme. And I don't really advocate for that. I did that mostly because I was trying to finish my master's degree and I was just overwhelmed. And I knew that if I didn't do something extreme, then I would like kind of waste my year away. It would not be good. Um, you know, there's other interventions that are um, much more approachable and healthy, frankly. Um, but at the time they didn't exist on a social level for me, you know, so I had to do something extreme because there was no one around me that I could really go to, to model what that healthy behavior looked like. But what happened is I became the model for healthy behavior and people like my, the bar team, we started bringing snacks. We started having a snack drawer. Then instead of like, snackeries we took we ate a snack we went we were doing drinking water people who were over consuming and really promoting that behavior eventually left and what was left was a culture that was a little bit healthier not totally like we weren't there but it was a little bit healthier so I think having models of people around you who are you know thriving in whatever way or, or even thriving just a little bit more that becomes such an extraordinary pathway to start questioning, like, what do I need right now? Because that's really the question, right? It's not necessarily, why am I behaving this way? It's like, what need is not being met? And what need is this problematic behavior fulfilling? Are there other ways for me to fulfill it like that? So, you know, I also think people just want full and happy lives and are realizing that in a lot of ways, alcohol is not conducive to that. I, 
I think that's incredible. I think what I see as well is almost the closest parallel to actual society that we've seen running against hospitality. Whereas, you know, and you kind of like reference this as well, it was just like, why is it not being tolerated in beverage? It felt like for me for a long time, beverage was this like secondary class. It was the secondary kind of like mm-hmm. citizenship, like, you know, your hours are different. <laughs> like you can go to Target at a time when nobody else is there because you live on a completely <laughs> different schedule of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think there might be something to that of, you know, feeling ostracized enough from society, working only for society, not on society, kind of like allows that thought process of, well, I don't necessarily need to change this because I don't operate the same as everybody Mm -hmm. else. I'm kind of like living in something else. But now with even the conversations that I'm seeing outside of beverage are kind of like paralleling what I'm seeing within beverage as well. It's like the two are Mm -hmm. kind of like lining up, which sounds like ridiculous to say that like living in, (laughs) living in a society starts to feel like living in a society, but you know, even down to kind of like (laughs) uh na offerings you know yeah um, i'll have my aunt tell me about something and i'm like who told you about na spirits like this <laughs> used to just like yeah. used to be just a thing that i knew about so how much do you think that kind of like change in societal conversation is shifting the way that like we in beverage are kind of viewing that as well because wellness can kind of like feel like this big umbrella category but now it kind of feels like it has action items yeah like i'm thinking about you know, in the height of the pandemic, how we saw this like major uptick of women drinking during the day. And I even saw brands advertising their wines for those women. Like I'm, I'm holding, you know, it's a podcast. So I'm just, I'm holding a mug in my hand. And this ad was like, you don't essentially like, you don't know what's inside. And I was like, can I swear? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. What was that? You know? So I think it was, the realization in those contexts that when people were taken out of their environments too, their normal everyday after work patterns or whatever, and maybe went a little bit too far or, you know, started to find some like healing within that time that they were removed from their environments. It started to change how we, how we really view alcohol. I think a lot of people would wake up hungover every day by themselves in their homes or with their partners or with their kids still in the house. And you know what I mean? It's kind of like that counseling training I had that like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do this. Um, so there's a, there's definitely a parallel with it that, and I think a lot of it has to do with accessibility to NA spirits and wines and different beverages. And also they're getting so much better, you know, that, it makes it easier, but I will say a piece of it, and this might be controversial and I would actually really like to hear your thoughts on it. For, I see a lot of people and myself included using alcohol as a form of currency in terms of how I'm being compensated for my job. So I saw it as like a work perk of like, I have access to all of this beautiful stuff. I need to consume it. I'm going down to Oaxaca. I'm never going to see this varietal, this blah, 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 blah. Again, from this producer, I'm going to drink it. And I always saw that as something of a work perk, which is then embedded into my payment of like, yeah, I'm being exploited. Yeah, I'm being ostracized on a massive social level because I'm working opposite hours, all of these things. But 
I have access to gorgeous booze and I can drink it whenever I want without any sort of criticism or um, public shaming or whatever. Um, I think that's when we look at the industry as a whole, there is a bit of like, do people come to the industry because it tolerates that behavior? Do they stay in this industry because it tolerates that behavior? But if we're removing alcohol as that currency, even just a little bit, if it, if that relate, if that element of the relationship is changing, then it'll change with us too, because then the value isn't quite as much there. If on a larger social level, we're not as interested in alcohol as a um, luxury, then that's gonna change how we approach it as an industry. Does that make sense? That's a long answer to a short question, but. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's definitely one of the very first things that started changing in my mind and the way that I thought about, you know, my surroundings, you know, being behind the bar. Mm -hmm. When I first let alcohol go, that was one of like the things that I was fearful of, of, am I giving away all of this abundance, uh, you know, abundance of of flavor, like, why I I can't take advantage of that anymore. And I, um, that was the part that kind of led me to, will people still take me seriously if they don't see me actively kind of like consuming this thing that I talk about? all of the time. And when I was kind of like left in that moment of fight or flight, um, you know, I kind of dug in and I really started thinking about like, well, what's left with alcohol if I remove the consumption of it. And then I started thinking everything else, everything else (laughs) is left. Um, you know, there's an incredible amount of storytelling that comes with, um, with those, you know, being able to meet the people who are behind the bottle, um, being able to travel to the places where it's actually made, like none of that goes away. If like you're still in the industry and you're you're sort of like chasing those opportunities, once consumption is removed, well, then you're just a very well hydrated person in Oaxaca, still, you yeah. know, <laughs> meeting these individuals who are are making yeah. these things. So and in a moment where I thought I was, you know, having to leave it all behind, I grew more excited uh, about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of like the little things that I think about a lot of, you know, just the way that I think about the removal of alcohol, where, you know, does the removal of alcohol in my life, am I actually viewing that as something being taken away? Or do I view that as, you know, what is left in its absence? And I think like that has kind of like been like a bigger message for me is just like nothing is missing. Everything's been gained. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, I mean, that's one is a huge sign of healing. And I also think that like, when we look at like behavioral change in terms of like, what role does alcohol, what does alcohol do for me? Because we don't really engage in behaviors unless it does something for us, even if it's problematic, even even if it's harmful. So there's something that the drinking and the overconsumption or even the moderate consumption is giving us, be it that feeling of abundance, or um, it could be like quelling sort of social anxiety, or it could be numbing out our emotions, or a sense of belonging within a community and a behavioral sense or whatever, you know, it's tough work to ask ourselves, you know, what do I, what am I getting out of this? And what do I actually need? Because 
at the end of the day, if it's a, if it's maladaptive, it's if it's harming our bodies, which it is because it's alcohol and it's poison and it's beautiful and delicious and all that stuff, yeah, but it's also bad, you know. It means that there's probably something else out there that will serve us better, and I like that thinking of, you know, there's so much that you're gaining. Like, how many hours in a day do you gain when you're not? just hung over all the time, access to your emotional lives, productive conversations with your friends and colleagues and, you know, the people in your life. Like it's, it's just, it's, you know, in, in full transparency, I still do drink way less than I used to. It's been a lot of work and it continues to be a lot of work for me. But even in the little bit that I do drink, it's, it becomes burdensome you know, of like, oh, now I have to ha take a whole day. And, you know, even if it's only a few drinks. So there's much to be gained by not drinking anything and really great, a really great life from not drinking anything. So, yeah, I love that. How has, how, what had to change for you to get your relationship with alcohol where it is now? And like, how do you sort of like view it even when you are drinking? Because one of the things I like to promote on this show is that removing alcohol uh wholesale worked great for me i'll never go back mm -hmm. i love it i'm a uh, i want to i want to live the best lifestyle possible show people that you can do it um but not everybody has to do that you know my mm -hmm. my biggest takeaway from this is like ask yourself what is my relationship to alcohol and then just yeah. see what prospers from that so you know i sometimes will create some like you know, meditations for people to think on when I go and I do like live events and I'll create these little cards, which is three questions on it for people that are either sober curious, people who live an active alcohol lifestyle or people who haven't like removed all together. Sometimes I'll mm -hmm. go back to these own meditations on my own. And it's interesting as months and years pass, my answers change to kind of like mm -hmm. how I, how I think of these, but do you now sort of like build a night with intentionality like where, where you were, you go out before and just say, I'm going out and I'm going to have drinks. And that was maybe the end of it. Are you now arriving to areas saying, well, I'm now going to have one drink tonight uh, because I'm prepping for tomorrow. If you're more aware of what goes into building a bad tomorrow, does it make mm -hmm. it easier to kind of navigate the night before? I would even say I'm one step beyond that. So we're like, and again, this has been many, many years of therapy, introspection. Like my therapist is a, um, she's a former hospitality professional and she's also a CADC, which is a, oh my God, chemical addiction. Wait, hold on. <laughs> this is so horrible that I don't remember what it stands for. It's a, it's essentially a drug and alcohol substance use counselor, right? It's a, an additional certification that you can get. Um, and I did that very intentionally because I, you know, I, I want, I want to keep a relationship with alcohol and I want to have a healthy relationship with alcohol. And that might change someday that I'm like, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think this work is worth it to try and keep this. It's like any relationship, right? At some point you're like, this isn't it for me. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely been a waxing and waning thing that there have been sometimes that I've fallen off and other times that I've really come back. But I would say it's especially been the last few years, about halfway through the pandemic, that I, I, my mind started shifting around it. And it did come down to like, 
I'm not getting out of this what I need to or want to, you know, the benefit that those behavioral benefits, right? They're not quite so there. So it used to be that I would have to like hype myself up of like, you can have fun with only three drinks, you know, or like you are driving tonight. So you drink a one and then you have two waters and then you go home. Like, and I would have to kind of hype myself up. Nowadays, though, it's um, because I'm so practiced in it and because I'm so, I've become so thoughtful with it that I'm going out and I know I'll probably have a glass of wine or two maybe, you know, but I don't have to, um, I, I don't have to talk to myself in a way like looking in the mirror being like, you can do it, Laura. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's become more part of my um, just everyday behavior it's not something that I struggle with in the same way I will say I think a lot of that has to do with not working in beverage anymore I'm very beverage adjacent um you know there are times when I'm very steeped in beverage community for an event or something like that and those moments are definitely challenging more challenging but on a day-to-day basis it's more like just it, it it's become so much more healthier that I don't have to give it as much attention and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for me for doing that work, you know, and I'm grateful for the support systems around me um, to do that as well. So, yeah. I've tried That's... to make a concerted effort to memorize the way that I felt and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of like different um, checkpoints along the way. Um, because, you know, even now, as I kind of like look up back on, you know, the, the, where I was and the way that I feel about it now, I remember now and like the first three months of, you know, removing alcohol, I, I had an ongoing mantra that I like literally had to repeat inside my head, which was just don't drink. And that wasn't mm-hmm. coming from the fact that I was like craving alcohol. I was like craving a beverage. It was just like, I, you know, my road went in one direction and I had these ruts and to try to go on these like new pathways and kind of like create that new terrain was difficult because I hadn't lived it yet. And now that phrase doesn't exist in my head at all. I'm just Josh that doesn't drink. I don't even need to say it anymore because I just, I just live that. So that's kind of like the difficult part to let people know, especially if they're like early on and their journey is just like, one day, without reason, it clicked in my head that I was just a person mm-hmm. who doesn't drink. And I got to watch like the the mantra like float down the drain. I can't tell you when that's going to happen, but you know, if you're yeah. if you're pri- providing that kind of like worth and conversation with yourself, like it it does appear. The change does happen. You know, I had a really cool moment last week. A friend of mine was in town, and I haven't seen this guy for like a year. And he's like, can we get a drink? And I'm like, yeah, I would love that. And this is someone who is not industry, but we would hang out and we had been friends for like 10 years or so. And we're sitting and we have our beers and he's like, do you want another one? And I was like, no, I'm still drinking this. And he picked it up and it was like almost full. And he was like, oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, I don't drink like I used to. And it was almost like a realization. It was that kind of um, that the juxtaposition of he and I, but not just he and I, his remem- his memory of me and my past behavior, um, you know, over the last 10 years, not, not even necessarily the year before. And I, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. And so I think that also points to the role of social support 
in either direction, right? Like if we have social support from people and acceptance to like be able to go out and not have a ton of drinks or any drinks at all without any sort of social shaming, which was the way like five, six, seven years ago. Um, or even if people around you aren't drinking a ton or just like ripping shots left and right, it makes it a more um, accessible environment to behave how you actually want to, right? Not like them or anything else, but how you want to exist in that space in that time. Um, so yeah, that was a really cool moment. And I'm gonna like, after this conversation, I'm gonna benchmark this as like, that was neat. Okay. <laughs> there is, um, there does appear to be much more gentle approach to these conversations as well. Um, yes. you know, even I think back to, you know, I removed alcohol in 2017. I wanted to look up stories because I had no idea what to expect in early mm -hmm. sobriety. So it's just like, there wasn't like a, what to expect when you're expecting to quit drinking for three months book <laughs> that I could go read. And, yeah. you know, kind of every story within the hospitality industry seemed to be one of, um, <clears throat> conviction, uh, as in convicted of a crime, yeah, uh, of uh, harm, otherwise uh, disaster stories. And honestly, mm -hmm. it was the finding of those stories that kept me quieter, kept me quiet for longer than I wish I yeah. would have been because I, my story didn't relate to that. And in turn, I thought I didn't have one. And in some ways it kind of like feels that I like aggressively crawled into gentleness <laughs> and now the world seems much more gentle <laughs> into the approach. It's, you know, maybe a little bit because I, I live it every day, but even with some people saying, oh, I'm not drinking today, uh, maybe it's the company I keep, but I don't hear the kind of mm -hmm. like brash, like, but why you can like, yeah. tell me why you're not drinking. People will have a calmer approach to that. What do you think is happening conversation wise around this that is allowing that kind of like gentle scope of the relationship that maybe wasn't there before? I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, more mainstream, mainstream conversations around mental health, around consent, um, you know, recognizing that we need consent for a lot of different behaviors and ways that we engage with each other. Um, you know, I, I, I often rail on how Instagram talks about mental health in general, but I think it's done a lot to normalize conversations of like, do what you need, set boundaries, like, um, you know, on, on both sides of let people live their lives the way that they want to, you know, um, I think that's definitely been thrust into more, a, a more central public space, um, rather than just in a therapist office, you know, like Brene Brown's like professional explosion, I think says quite a lot for where we are as a society that we're more curious about our emotional lives. We're curious about how we can support each other. Um, the way that we're workplaces are changing like we're in an emotional revolution it's not the industrial revolution it's the emotional revolution so I think normalizing those pieces and more people going to therapy I think is a big part of it too like we saw a massive uptick in people going to therapy especially with the pandemic and people thinking more about you know their role in how their life is going and you know the skills that they're building to build the life that they want um so yeah, I mean, even like I do this work and I've been doing this work for years now. And even when someone's like, I'm not drinking tonight, I still have a, an emotional response to that, like still to this day. And 
my company's called healthy poor and I'm a therapist, you know, <laughs> I have this moment of just like, Oh, should I not be drinking or Oh, 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 Oh no, Oh no, Oh no. You know, because it is so deeply entrenched in how we engage with each other, but because there's so many more people who are thoughtful about it, it does become easier. So I want to also acknowledge, like, if you're someone listening to this, that you're like, I still, I still get nervous in those conversations or stuff. It's, that's still normal. It's very embedded in our, in our interactions with each other, for sure. How do you see this changing in bars? Um, you know, there's some really great examples out there of, you know, the way, uh, whether it's like owners or you know, bar management is kind of like changing the way uh, they act. And I think even more so what they provide. And you were touching on this a, a, a little at the, the beginning of the program, but, you know, I really like what, you know, like Phil Spear does in Austin. Um, they like a shift the post shift. So where drinks after work used to reside now kind of like yoga and a run club lives during the day. Mm -hmm. And on a very like small scale, I saw, um, some of the benefits of that when I was still running a bar, um, and I decided to stop drinking the, even the conversations with my staff changed and not because mm -hmm. I was, I came out and said, headline, this is what's different. Just me living my life differently created conversations in the workplace. That wasn't just about like, Oh, where are we going this weekend? Or, um, let's, everything's about cocktails or everything's about drinking. Mm -hmm. It was like, I saw this on Netflix. I read this book. I went to this park and I walked you know, this trail. I thought you'd like to hear about that. It was just, it became less about just the one thing that we had in common and kind of like open the door to, Oh, we're more than just coworkers. And I'm not saying that to yeah. have like a, we are all family pizza party, <laughs> but, but what's happening out there? So like what you just described is such a perfect example of looking at the role that alcohol plays, like the, whatever, um, function that alcohol was serving, especially when we look at post-shift, it's like decompression, social connection, camaraderie, right? It's also like a way to sort of, um, ease out of work that you're still, there's still a little bit of spillover happening, especially like when you have a shift drink or go to the next bar or something, there's some work spillover. It's still an element of work, but you're sort of easing out of it. So we can see the function that it serves. So then if we recognize like that's still killing people, right? That's still dangerous. It's still problematic. You create systems that fulfill those needs of, we need a sort of like spillover, decompression, step out thing that creates camaraderie and connection. And post-shift activities are exactly that. I mean, the drinking after work was a post-shift activity. It just wasn't very productive, you know? <laughs> like when you have proper sober post-shift activities, you can process like, what was the day like? What could we do better? So it also became becomes an organizational intervention. Um, but looking at like, what is this serving us and how can we replace that? That is just like the most gorgeous, gorgeous um, example of that. And I'm reflecting on like, I think it was 2016 or 2017, I created a Facebook group called Bar None, where people who are industry professionals could get together and do things that they enjoy that had nothing to do with drinking. And people were into it, but like it did not take off. I think it was still a little bit ahead, <laughs> still a little bit ahead of its time. But there's something to be said about that, that if alcohol and drinking is the only social conduit that we have, if it's the only thing that brings us together, as we create relationships that you know, have care and love to them, that's going to be what 
brings us together. We see that not just in the workplace, but like families do that. That when we get together on holidays, we drink because that's, it's become the conduit, it's become the glue. And that's, that can be quite scary. And it's also a very hard thing to break. It's a very hard pattern to break off um, because then the alcohol becomes embedded in our love and our relationships and our identities. So when you say like, I, my, it, my conversations with people started changing. It's like getting rid of that connective tissue allowed you to see all the other potential connective, connective tissue that was there and ways to, you know, create intimacy with someone that didn't involve sharing a beverage. It's um, incredibly humbling and enlightening to discover that the thing that you thought was a tool to open the door to opportunity, to conversation, <laughs> to the way that mm -hmm. you uh, show up in a room uh, is actually doing the opposite. Um, yeah. uh, it's a very stark realization. It's also, um, you know, I appreciate it as well because to learn what I thought was that performing in some ways was actually me, um, you know, funny can do karaoke, can dance, um, <laughs> can hold a conversation. Uh, I still got it, <laughs> but then, um, but then even the, you know, changed the way that I looked at it and it made me realize that like, you know, the one commodity that I hold is time. And within time I have relationships and within time I have kind of like discovery of myself. And then I really started to view alcohol as a theft, as theft, as theft yeah. of that time of the one thing that I truly have that I can hold dear and fill with so much good um, that kind of like pushed me into kind of like my biggest regret of just, I wish I did this earlier and I mm. can't live in that because, you know, yeah. I made the decision when I did and um, you know, I had to be the one to tell myself that uh, the timing is right. Um, but it, it really is, is huge for me to realize what's open to me now by making one mm pretty simple decision back then. Yeah. And, you know, when I hear about people, you know, choosing sobriety and choosing a sober, sober life for themselves, I don't ever hear anyone say, I regret that ever, you know, or I've changed my relationship with alcohol. I don't, I mean, I've never heard anyone be like, I wish I drank more, you know, it's, you know, so mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said about that, you know, which is also, again, why it's so important to look at, like, what are the barriers to making those decisions for ourselves? What is in the way? And how honest can we be with ourselves as we're making those decisions so that we are actually doing what's right for us? Like, I found, like, a lot of my thinking was, I wish alcohol didn't make me drunk, which speaks to, like, the theft of it, right? Like, mm -hmm. I want to keep trying this, but I don't, you know, so then it's like, so why am I consuming it then? Like I could taste it and learn about it and all the and talk about it and visit distilleries and wineries and still have that life. But like, why am I drinking it like that? And now with the, um, with all of the NA options that are just like, just getting more and more gorgeous by the day, there's really no, there's no reason. I would like to see more bars and restaurants from a consumer standpoint offering options that are NA, including NA wines. Um, you know, a lot of them are getting really good and are quite delightful. Um, 
you know, I did a lot of dining out this last week and I'm very tired still. It's just like a lot of go, go, go. And I had, I, it was like business stuff, you know, and there weren't often options for NA. And that was just like, um, okay. And I didn't want to be like, can you take this gorgeous glass of wine and water it down with soda water? But I still did because mm-hmm. like mama was driving, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, I would like to see more of those options. I think people would be more comfortable if it was printed on a menu regularly, ordering those things. And if servers and bartenders can um, be excited to offer those things as well. I remember in my last bar days, bartenders were like, an NA cocktail would come through and it'd just be like a guttural sigh Mm -hmm. of like, how dare this come through? I think that's definitely changing now, but that says something to the consumer and the guest as well. Yeah, that's something I spend a lot of time talking about is just kind of like the the term mocktail. I'm not necessarily against it, but the mocktail mm-hmm. that I learned when I first started bartending was make me something that looks like what I usually drink, put no thought into it. I just don't want anybody to ask me any questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, if these types of changes in conversations can happen to people like us, you know, coming out of like a generation that maybe thought it was never possible. What -hmm. does the next generation of drinker look like? What things about the, um, about alcohol are going to be left behind? How is the next generation going to talk about alcohol and how, or will they drink? I think they are going to drink first. I think they're still going to be, um, alcohol consumption. I mean, and we already see like the the college students and stuff, they're still binge drinking. They're still doing that kind of stuff. I think when we look at hospitality professionals and especially brands, there's, I think there's a social responsibility, more of a social responsibility than people are taking on to really usher a, um, an appropriate way to consume alcohol and to enjoy alcohol as well. Like if we're wasted, there's nothing really to enjoy because you're not even going to remember it. Your palate's fried. You know, I'm from Chicago. So if we're just like ripping shots to Malort to get weight, like truly where's the, where is the actual enjoyment in that? Um, so I, I foresee if the, if the way that generation Z, the zoomers are approaching the workplace says anything, I think we're going to see stronger boundaries around things that are harmful to them. And that includes like, just alcohol in general, but also I foresee choosing brands that are socially responsible and are ethical and are um, environmentally responsible. And I think that a lot of people are spending more money now based on their values. So that's a component to think about. But I also foresee that there's going to be more diversity in what people are drinking throughout the evening, that it might be a one- alcoholic cocktail or beer or whatever and then they switch to something that's non-alcoholic or maybe low ABV or something I think that we're seeing a a criticism that I've had of even the the NA marketing movement in general is this polarization of either you're all in on one side or you're all in on the other side and they kind of like fetishize both sides and I see a lot more in between now again the goo right I see a lot more um, moving along that spectrum in a way for people. And we can call it sober curious, I think. But I think for a lot of people, it's just more like, 
I want to taste things and consume things that make me feel good. And that's not always alcohol. Um, but yeah, I think a big thing is people buying with their values and behaving with their values. And sometimes that means not engaging in behaviors that they feel pressured to do socially pressured or otherwise. Um, sticking with that social pressure for a moment, the mm -hmm. kind of like cycle of, you know, big trade activations is kind of like starting their calendar year soon. Yeah. Um, what used to be just being sequestered to the water station all the way at the back of the room away from what was going on. Some brands are doing a really good job of kind of like making sure that NA offerings are available at some of these like large activations and stuff like that. It is, however, when things like, you know, big conventions, which is a concentration mm -hmm. of the efforts of the cocktail industry around the globe, made to feel like it's happening in just a few days that's mm -hmm. where the incredible pressure of FOMO fear of missing out on what's abundant and what's available really starts to kick in how can bartenders who are maybe kind of having that moment of sober curiosity or trying to understand what it means to be within that lifestyle what are some ways that they can kind of check in with themselves at these mm. large scale events and in turn use those check-ins as kind of like a carryover when they're kind of you know back in the normal yeah i mean i would just have a quick there's a a, a concept called the metapause like metapause not menopause but metapause it's by um it was sort of coined by Dr. Mark Brackett, who's an emotions researcher. He's a great book called Permission to Feel, but it's like that pause of going like, what's happening right now? What do I need? We can look at it as a mindfulness practice. Um, but, you know, what am I feeling right now? What do I need right now? Can I regulate those kinds of things? And I like to think of the menopause in those moments where we start to feel that FOMO kick in and we can ask ourselves in those moments, like, what do I need right now? And another question to ask is what I'm afraid of right now. You know, am I afraid that I won't be invited again? Am I afraid that I'll never try this spirit again? You know, am I afraid that I'm not going to be um, as accepted or I don't really belong here if I say no, or if I go back to my hotel room? Um, interrogating those things and even leaning into them a little bit can be really helpful and help you with your decision-making processes around drinking in those moments. Or even if it means just going home and getting rest and like staying out and not drinking or just going back and getting rest. Um, if we start to think things like, if I go, if I don't go out, I won't belong anymore. We can start to see like that actually has nothing to, to do with the consumption of alcohol. That has something to do with the group that you're with. And if we can prepare ourselves to say things like, I, I really don't have it in me, but let's do this tomorrow. It kind of quells that fear a little bit, but I want to see people more uncoupling the consumption of alcohol with those feelings of belonging and recognizing that the fear that is kind of emerging there with that FOMO, um, doesn't actually have to do with any anything with it uh, it doesn't actually have anything to do with a drink in hand that's just the result and the symptom of experiencing that fear um you know those our conferences and festivals are tough 
And I'll be real, like at Tails last year, I, I stayed in my room a lot because I was still at that point that I was like, I don't, I haven't seen any of these people in a long time. I'm excited to see them. I don't know that I have the tools yet to manage my consumption or even my social bandwidth in this time. So I was very careful about when I went out and anything that I consumed was something that I was certain I would never try again. And then I was usually spitting. That's another thing, normalize spitting at these conferences. Like if you are nervous about spitting at a conference, go in your kitchen, get yourself a cup and practice. Cause like, I know it's gross and I know it's weird, but you walk around these wine conferences and folks are doing it all the time. Like it's nothing. And they've got their nasty ass cup and it's full of their nasty ass spit, but spirits, we don't do that. We drink it. So normalizing those things a little bit and like even putting that on display and modeling that from the people around you, you'll see people start to spit as well, you know, or asking publicly for a spit cup. I have stuff to do tomorrow. I, I would like to try this. And this is, I see that this is important and cool, but I would like a spit cup. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing is asking like, what is the actual fear here? And the more, the more you ask yourself that and the more emotionally intelligent you become, the deeper that question really goes. And it does make it easier when it's more, surface stuff of I'm afraid I'm not going to be invited again then you can say like I would like to do this another time I enjoy your company and this could be fun but not tonight you know what I'm saying so just practicing that kind of stuff and interrogating the feelings around when that FOMO comes up and FOMO those the worst. It really is and those moments exist on a much smaller scale even if it's like you know going out um with some friends at a bar that's like local mm -hmm. to you so I feel like that's really great advice to even kind of like understanding what that feels like as it starts to swell uh, and just kind of like trying it out even before you get to some of these larger events. Yeah. And also like enlisting the help of the of your social support system, you know, having conversations of like, I'm really trying to not drink, drink less, change my relationship with alcohol, whatever language that you want to use and telling someone that you're going out with, like, I want to see you, but I might need some help you know, like, I know that I'm going to feel a pull and I really don't want to, and I might need some help in terms of experiencing that social support. Um, and I know I'm saying this in like such a clinical way, but can you help me not drink so much tonight? Like, I really want to stick with one or two or none. Um, and having that social validation in that baked into that process can be very, very helpful because when not consuming alcohol becomes like an ostracizing, isolating practice, we're human beings, we're social creatures. We're gonna wanna like feel a part of something. So when there's someone like saying, it's good that you don't, it goes a really long way, really long way. Well, Laura Louise Green, who can benefit from healthypoor.org? What can they find <laughs> there and how can they interact? Yeah, so healthy poor, well, I think, Healthypoor.org is like, you know, what we do. We were, I, I work primarily with um, organizations to help reshape the, the workplace, um, you know, so that the workplace environment, for example, is more conducive to someone who is sober and thriving, you know, so that it's not, you're not walking into a workplace that you're just like, kind of like drug back into um, those behaviors that you're trying to not be a part of. But the Healthy Port Institute is a really great spot. It's like an online social learning platform. It's like um, a social media platform meets a like 
learning management system. So there's courses, there's chat areas, you can DM each other, um, you know, comment on different things and stuff. So there's question, there's different courses in there about just like the basis of basics of mental health. I would say one of my, my most popular courses is understanding the industry's relationship with alcohol, which breaks down all the ways that like alcohol plays a role in our lives and how we can differentiate when it's playing what role, kind of uncover and get curious about those sort of like covert ways of like, oh yeah, I'm at a drinking festival, drinking festival, right? And I'm saying I'm trying to learn and trying to taste something new, but I'm really coping with the fact that I'm around 500 people and I don't know how to behave because there's been a pandemic for the last three years, like that kind of stuff. Um, lots of research articles, lots of um, reading materials. One of my favorites, oh no, I might've lent it out. No, it's right here, is Drink by Professor David Nutt. Um, this is such a great book about alcohol and our health. And it's like probably the most comprehensive thing I've read in a while. And this is up on there to like link and stuff. Yeah, oh, tons and tons of resources. So lots of opportunities for learning. Oh, and you know what else? <laughs> and another thing, there's a whole area in there. Hold on, I'm at my computer. I'm gonna look at what I called it. There's a whole area in there that has a daily, um, a daily thought prompt. It's called relationships with uh, relationship with substance journey. So it's like a 45, I think, day program that you go through that there's just a different journal prompt every day. It's not something that you have to be sober for, but it's just something like, what role is alcohol playing in your relationships? And there's a different prompt every single day. Um, I think it's free. If it's not free, I made it like five bucks. I might've made it free. I'm not sure. <laughs> if you want it for free, just email me. I'll send it to you. I don't care, whatever. <laughs> but lots of resources on the, the, on the Healthy Port Institute. You heard it here first. No promo code required. <laughs> I'll just shut up. I don't even know. Uh, it's all a blur. Well, thank you for the work that led you to be able to have this conversation with me. Thank you for this conversation and thank you for the inevitable good that you'll continue to bring to the hospitality industry and beyond. Yo, right back at you. This is a very important podcast to have. And also I like the podcast because people can listen to it if they're sober curious or they're not ready to have those conversations with people. They're having those conversations. They're just listening to them, you know, so it's it's really important. So thank you you <laughs> that's no proof thank you for listening and if you liked what you heard or are interested to hear more make sure to like and subscribe on spotify apple or wherever you get your podcasts music was written and recorded by my brother kyle right here in columbus ohio to pick up an na enamel pen and other great barware head to mover and shakerco.com more info and other shows like the focus on health podcast with alex jump can be found at fohealth.org. That's focusonhealth.org.